So this past week, as you know, uh, started with what we call Halloween, All Hallows Eave, uh, means, means that Monday was All Saints Day, the day that we remember uh, those who have gone on before us. There's been a tradition of that in, in the church, both the Eastern and the Western church, uh, to think about that, thinking about that a little bit this week, Susan Guerra lost her mother this week, as many of you know, and think about the impact that a godly mother can have in your life. We certainly grieve with uh, Susan's family, the homelands, um, as they remember that. It may, just makes you think about those who are significant in your life. Maybe you had a significant mentor at some point, or your parents, or whoever it might be. There's a real sense of, of gratitude for the role that they played in your life, for uh, the way that they helped you to see the gospel more clearly, to make it through difficult times. Paul is talking a little bit about these themes here, especially when we look at verse 17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. It's interesting. I don't think too many of us would say, you know, especially if you're preaching, I don't typically say, watch my life. It makes me a little nervous, uh, especially when I have my neighbors sitting right here. You know, it's like, watch my life. They know it's not always something uh, that is worth watching. But Paul has a confidence to say that because, as we've seen, um, it's not just about him. It's about Christ in him, being found in Christ, gaining Christ, Christ coming through, even in the midst, or maybe especially in the midst of our own weaknesses. And so what I want to do this morning, especially mindful of the fact that we are commissioning that campus ministry organization, uh, I'm seeing folks here who I know had significant experiences in college themselves, maybe even came to faith in Christ during those years, uh, and oftentimes it was through the, the faithful witness of a campus worker uh, or, or somebody, uh, a family from a church that they showed up in who engaged that call to, to be an example, to be a presence in that life that was continually pointing to Christ. What I want to do this morning is uh, on this sort of All Saints weekend, ask ourselves the question, what does it look like? What does it look like to, to be the light of Christ in somebody's life. And I have three observations for you here, which maybe doesn't surprise you a whole lot, uh, since we oftentimes have uh, three observations. But this morning, they're this. It starts with an arresting identity. Uh, and I use that term very deliberately, the arresting identity. You see this as Paul begins in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. So he's very much continuing off of the ideas of last week 
where he talked about he wanted to gain Christ, he wanted to be found in him, he wanted to know him, he wanted to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And he's saying, you know, all of this is, is somewhat incomplete. I haven't obtained all that my heart is longing for. I haven't, uh, I haven't experienced this as fully as I want to experience it as I go on into the future. But, he says, I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Some, you know, some interpretations uh, say I, I press on to take hold of this uh, for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. That, that term there, take hold or made it my own, is a very strong term in Greek. It, it has the idea of being forcibly grabbed uh, or uh, arrested. That's why I, I use that term. So it's not just that this is a cat casual taking hold of, either by God or by us, but this is something that, that steps in and arrests us in such a way that even if we were to try to go in another direction, we couldn't. And notice that there are, are two take holds here. Uh, one, first, we, we are taken hold of by God. Our translation does a good job uh, of putting, you know, of identifying sort of the causal clause. It, it says, I press on to make it my own because, because, why do I do this? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Here he lays out for us very quickly the idea that we looked at last week that we come into the family of God not because of our own perfections, not because of our own effort, not because we somehow being graded on a bell curve served at the higher end of the bell curve rather than the lower end of the bell curve. We come into the family of God because... He has set his love on us because in the midst of our moving away from him, he has stepped in and he has taken hold. He has firmly grasped. He has arrested our affections and he has turned them towards him. This is something that Paul certainly knew in his own life, didn't he? You know, as he was in the midst of persecuting Christians, I'm going to come back to that idea in just a minute. Remember, he told us, as to zeal, persecutor of the church in verse 6. Uh, Paul was, was headlong bent uh, on making his own way blameless with regards to the law, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, persecuting the church. But God came and he stopped him. Uh, on the road to Damascus, Paul or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you uh, so bent on your own destruction? Note that phrase as well. And he arrested the heart of Paul to go in another direction. Here's the question that I have for you this morning. Do you know that you have been taken hold of by Christ? 
Do you recognize that at some point in your life, your thinking began to change? Or it became very clear that the way that you are thinking, the way that you are orienting your life is different from those who are not orienting their lives uh, according to Jesus Christ. I, I say it that way because not everybody has the Damascus Road experience. And I wouldn't want you to, uh, to feel like that is the normative experience. There are, you know, 300 people here this morning, and there's probably 300 different experiences of, of what it means to, you know, move into that life of disciples. Some of you were born in Christian homes, you grew up into that, you've accepted that, you, you've never really kicked against those pricks, but you see that you, you are orienting your life differently from those that are around you, whether they are in school with you or whether they're at your workplace, whatever. You see that, you know that your thinking, that your orientation to life has been taken hold of by the Lord Jesus Christ. Others of you can see it very clearly. Uh, like Paul, you were going in this direction until the Lord arrested you, and then you were going in this direction. But the, the point is, no matter what your experience is, the, 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 what you need to identify is, have I been taken hold of? Have I been arrested? by the mercy, the grace uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have I seen that the way he has ordered his world, the way that he has directed our life is the beautiful way? And am I willing to walk in that way? And notice then, secondly, Paul moves to take hold of that. There, there is sometimes this idea that, you know, if we press too hard into this idea that it's God's work and not our work, that makes lazy Christians. That makes people who don't care about their lives. That makes people who aren't concerned with holiness or uh, living in a way that reflects the glory of God because we don't have to worry about what we do. It's what Christ does. But that's not Paul's experience, is it? You know, Paul's experience is because I have been taken hold of, I take hold of this life. I press into it. Now, that, again, that is a strong word. Not take hold this time, but press. I mean, if you look back in verse 6, you know, Paul says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. The word persecutor there is the exact same word in Greek that Paul is using to talk about pressing into. Uh, the idea is that you press, you, you, you push, you, you move this. So, so he was previously pressing into the church, persecuting the church. And now he is saying with the same zeal, that I formerly persecuted the church, I am now pressing into Christ in order to take hold of that. It's interesting, Paul here sometimes talks both in the present, future, past, all at once. He says, on the one hand, I haven't already attain, uh, obtained it, but then he also says, to take hold that which I have attained. Yeah, so there's just this, this push-pull in Paul where he says, this is absolutely true. I have obtained, I have been arrested by Christ along the way. 
But now my life is so uh, oriented that I continue to press on with zeal. I continue to take hold of an even greater experience of what it means to be in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Eugene Peterson, that quote that you had at the beginning, he says this, just because I don't, so he goes on to say this, just because I don't have to do anything about my salvation doesn't mean that there's nothing important for me to do. It means that I can now give all my energies, and I love this. It means because you do not have to earn your salvation, it means that I can give all my energies to being human, to living in the rich experience of grace. Isn't that freeing? You know, as believers, recognizing that we have been taken hold of by Christ, we can stop getting on that uh, rat race treadmill of trying to earn our salvation, and we are free to be the people that God has created us to be, to live as humans, using all of our energies to see the flourishing in the world around us, uh, to see others come to Christ, to share the gospel, uh, to point other beggars to the place where we can find not just the crumbs, but we can find a feast for all to share. And that's where Paul goes to next. You, you see this uh, as he talks about these who live as enemies of Christ. He's saying, I am pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory, they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. Paul is very aware that not everybody that he encounters in life has been taken hold of in the way that he is. And he is passionate about in he is passionate in his pursuit of God that those around him who do not know who are in this very uh, desperate situation their end is destruction their end is uh, their end is is separation from God their end is not knowing the life that he has in Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their bellies, their appetites, their lusts. They have their minds set on earthly things. They, they can't see the heavenly. The only way that they can live is, you know, the word that we use for that is, is secular. That's, that's all they can live. It's just this world, the seculum. Uh, that is all that they can see. There's nothing that penetrates this, uh, this horizon. And Paul says, this grieves me. You know, the, these people walk as enemies of the cross. I've told you about them with tears. You know, it's interesting. We've talked about this as we've gone through Philippians in chapter 1. 
He talks about those who are preaching Christ out of rivalry. Uh, in chapter 3 last week, he talked about, you know, the dogs, uh, the criminals, the wrongdoers, and then the, those who mutilate the flesh. Uh, we don't know specifically who Paul is talking about here, which group, whether these are sort of Christians or whether these are uh, Judaizers or whether these are even uh, Gentile hedonists. We're, we're not exactly sure who he's talked to. It's probably ambiguous uh, in, in, on purpose because anybody who has not been taken hold of by Christ is by definition an enemy of the cross. They are, are, are seeking their own salvation, whether it looks very religious or it looks very hedonistic. You are an, an enemy of the cross if you haven't submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ, if you haven't allowed his mercy and free grace entrance into your life. But Paul here is very clear. Like, this is not where you want to be. I think about college students. Uh, I, I spent some time in college ministry back in the day. I uh, always have just realized like that is such a crucial time in people's lives where so many choices are being made, career choices, choices of, of who you may marry, uh, all of these different things. But the orientation of your life. Are you going to follow Christ? Now, obviously, this, this is all through our lives. It's not, it's not limited to college, but it's just such a, a breeding ground for, for these types of choices and, and how do we think about it. Uh, several years ago, I, I read uh, I Am Charlotte Simmons. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that book. It's one of the Tom Wolfe's giant novels. Uh, Tom Wolfe, uh, American novelist, died in 2018. But back in the 80s, he wrote The Bonfire of the Vanities, which sort of described uh, the 80s. And then in the 90s, it was A Man in Full. And then early 2000s, he wrote this uh, novel called I Am Charlotte Simmons. And then as a 70-year-old man, he did his research. Uh, he went to all these college campuses, sat in frat parties and, and doing all of this. And then he writes a novel about this brilliant woman or young woman who, who left a small town, went to the Ivy League school, uh, and, and just was trying to find out her identity and, and how that worked out in all of her different engagements and that type of thing. At one point, the dialogue in the book says this about college. As Charlotte is trying to find her way, uh, one of her classmates says, this is the time to cut loose, to really learn about everything, to learn about guys, to really get to know them, to really find out what goes on in the world. You just have to let yourself fly for once without constantly thinking about what you left behind on the ground. You're a genius, Charlotte. Everyone knows that. I'm being sincere. Totally. But now there are other things to learn, and this is the perfect time, the perfect place to do it. Take a chance. That's the one reason why people go to college. Unfortunately, Wolf has really done his research. <laughs> And he captures just so much of that idea of what it's like to be on the American university. And I know some of you are thinking about that, thinking about going. Why are you going? Don't walk as an enemy of Christ. Your, your, your appetites are your God. 
just what you can get, how you can satisfy, where you're going to find your, your next bout of happiness in that relationship, in that party, in this thing, that is not going to lead you anywhere. In fact, uh, it's interesting, Charlotte later on is talking about just how lonely she's become in college, even in the midst of going to all these parties and pursuing certain relationships. She says this, loneliness wasn't just a state of mind. It was tactile. She could feel it. It was a sixth sense, not just in some fanciful play on words, but physically. It hurt. It hurt like the phagocytes devouring the white matter of her brain. It wasn't merely that she had no friends. She didn't even have a sanctuary in which she could simply be alone. You see, she's living out what Paul is saying. You know, in this life and in the next, your, your end is destruction. The things that you are glorying in, they're, they're for your shame, and they don't lead you anywhere. But here's what I want you to see Paul leaves us. He says, don't hate these people. Don't hate those who are enemies of the cross. Weep for them with tears. Allow your heart to be moved by the emptiness, the shallowness, by the brokenness, by the alienation, by the distance, by the loneliness that comes by walking as an enemy of the cross. Brothers and sisters, I, I pray for these folks that are going on to college campuses uh, each and every day because there are so many young men and young women who do not know where true joy can be found. Looking for love in all the wrong places, right? And I know it's the same, not only on the college campuses, but also in the rest of our lives. And, and part of this pressing on into Christ, part of this taking hold, is recognizing that there are so many people that are, are just lost. There is that loneliness, that alienation, that emptiness. And, and unfortunately, I see so much of Christianity that comes off as hateful, rather than broken and sorrowful. When you meet somebody who is an enemy of, your cro enemy of the cross, is your first inclination to rebut them, to, to prove yourself right, you know, to despise them for the choices that they have made, or is your first inclination to love them, to pray for them, to be tearful over where they are and pray that one day they will be your sister, they will be your brother in Christ. Paul says, watch me. Watch me. I, I, I have given my life to pursuing this. There's only one thing that I care about, and that is that Christ is exalted in the, in the life of of every person that I come into contact with. And, and this is where Paul then finally leads us. He leaves us with this upward call. He returns. There's a bunch of this that, you know, he's returning to previous, uh, previous ideas, and he keeps rolling them out, digging them a little bit more, um, developing them a little bit more. 
And here he returns to this topic of citizenship. We talked about this back in uh, Philippians 1.27. Citizenship was huge in Philippi because it was a Roman colony. Uh, the folks there, they had their citizenship cards. And it was the most precious thing that they had because it told them who they were. It gave them an identity in terms of uh, it gave them you know, confidence in terms of their rights. It gave them a boldness to travel, to do all of these different things. They had this citizenship. They, they were part of the Caesar cult. They were worshiping him. He was their savior and their Lord. And, and look at what Paul says here. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself, stand firm thus in the Lord. Paul, Paul is saying, you can do this. You, you can love those who are walking as enemies of the cross. You, you can step forward. You can take hold of that which has taken hold of you because you no longer belong to this world. Your citizenship is in heaven. You, you have been transferred. You have been transformed. You, have, you, you no longer belong to this world but you have the greater citizenship card. You have the greater Savior. You don't have the Lord. You don't have Caesar, but you have the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the greater Lord. All of these were titles that Caesar would take for himself. And now Paul comes back and he says, "This is who you are. You you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness," he says in Colossians, "to the kingdom of light. You have a citizenship that is in heaven. Have confidence. Have confidence that that your heavenly Father loves you and is full of all of the resources that you need. We have simply to ask Him for them. Have courage as you face those who walk as enemies." of the cross. Have courage to, to share with them the, the better way, the, the new life. Have conviction that this life that you see your, your mentors and those that have gone before you in the faith as you see them walking, ha have conviction that what you read in the scripture is truly the good way. That, that you're not going to find your happiness as you seek to follow apart from the way that God has ordained life in any of the areas, whether in terms of success or sexuality or any of those things, it is as God lays it out, that's where we're going to find joy. Have that conviction. And Paul says, be the people that you have been called to be. There's again this, this both both and aspect. Paul isn't simply saying that this is something that we pine for as pie in the sky. He says, your citizenship is in heaven now. Like you, you have it. It's not something that you're going to gain when you know, we, Jesus comes again or you die and you go to heaven. Your citizenship presently is in heaven. That is your orientation. And so he says, stand firm. It's always interesting to me. It's this push-pull of the gospel. I press on by standing firm. I, I move forward by being rooted 
You know, and that is what Paul is pushing his people towards as well. It's interesting here as we come to the end, uh, one of the sources that use in studying Philippians brings us back to uh, the, the night in the Philippian jail where Paul and Silas were singing hymns. You remember that? They were taken captive. They were put in jail. Um, <clears throat> they were going, going to trial, badly treated. And, and as they were there, they started singing hymns, and they led the other prisoners to sing hymns as well. And then God comes and uh, gives the earthquake. They could escape, but they stay. The Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? That, that whole story. But it's in the midst of the opposition that Paul and Silas were singing hymns in a Philippian jail. As we read the book of Philippians, we see Paul again is in jail. He's in prison. He's on trial for his life. But he's singing a hymn, isn't he? I've been taken hold of. I am pressing on because that is what God has called me to do. I am seeking to love those who walk as enemies of the cross because I know. I know that my citizenship is in heaven. And in so many ways, as we get ready to come to the table this morning, we, we see this story being played out again. We, we know what it's like to be pressed against in this world. The world wants to conform us to its mold. It wants to press us in to something else other than what Christ has called us to. But Christ comes to us and says, here you go. Let me remind you that I have taken hold of you. As I went to the cross, as I laid down my perfect, innocent body, life, as I did that for you, you have been taken hold of. And you are no longer your own, but you belong, body and soul, life and death, to your faithful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So take Eat, remember, believe, take, drink. Know that you have all of the resources of the gospel at your disposal so that you can press on to enjoy this life more and more. That you can press on with tears in order that you might invite those who are walking as enemies of, cro of the cross into a life of discipleship. You can press on so that you uh, experience the citizenship of heaven that is ours in Christ. Will you pray with me as we get ready to come to the table this morning? I'll invite the elders forward at this time. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you set this table for us. We are so grateful for what it means that we are not our own, but that we have been bought with a price, that we have been taken hold of in order that we might take hold of that which is ours in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray for each person here, no matter where their journey is, pray for those who are, are still walking as enemies of the cross, Lord, whether that is through a, a self-salvation project that looks very moral and upright and religious, or whether that is through a life that is filled with hedonism, debauchery, and just a willingness to go your own way. Lord, I, I pray that you would arrest their hearts today 
and that you would show them the better way. Show them the way of the upward call that is ours in Christ. Father, for those of us that know the Lord Jesus, thank you that you invite us to this table, that you feed us, that you remind us that we are yours, that you remind us that every resource of the gospel is at your disposal, and that we now go forward uh, strengthened, enlivened in this gospel. Meet us, we pray, in this table. In Jesus' name, amen. The night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took the bread, and breaking it, he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, our Lord took the cup, giving thanks again, he gave it to his disciples, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes again. Just a word about the table. It's not ours, Christ churches. It's not even the Presbyterian church in America. It's Christ's table. He is the one that invites you to come lay down your life because he has already laid down his life for you. Take hold of him because he has taken hold of you. If you've experienced this, come eat, drink, uh, be refreshed. If not, know that there is an invitation to find your life in the beauty of who Christ is. And so we invite you, not necessarily to take the elements as a, as a ritual, uh, because that can't save you. But like Paul said last week, know Christ. Come and know Him, and we'd be happy to point the way for you. As we come forward this morning, we have a song uh, to meditate on, singing of the saints uh, who have set an example before us, pressing on, going to that great celestial city. Uh, we'll walk forward, you'll be dismissed by row, and, and we'll have three stations come up. Feel free to stop and, and to pray. Pray as you're sitting in your seat. Pray for the brothers and sisters in Christ who you see that are striving alongside of you in this journey. May your hearts be encouraged this morning.